Welcome to the Farcast here at Shadron State College. I'm Daniel Binkert with my co-host, Alex Helmbrecht, and we're here with Dr. Brooks Hafey, who is, I got to check my uh, listing here, Associate <laughs> Professor of Music. Uh, try and get those titles correct. Uh, Brooks, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast with us. Yeah, my pleasure. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Um, Brooks, uh, tell us a little bit about your life before you came here to Shadron State College. Uh, where are you from originally? Where'd you go to school? Well, I didn't grow up too far from here. I was born in western Colorado in Grand Junction, and then my family moved to Colorado Springs. And so all of my schooling, elementary, middle school, and high school was in Colorado Springs. Okay. And I also was a student in France for a year. I was an exchange student during my high school years. And then my undergraduate studies were at the University of Missouri in Columbia, Missouri. And then both of my graduate degrees are from Florida State in Tallahassee, Florida. All right. Well, that's a nice little bit of uh, travel there from Colorado yeah. <laughs> to France. So, yeah, well, I feel like, so I started in Colorado, then France, and then Missouri, and then Florida, and here I am in Nebraska, so I'm slowly circling my way back to Colorado, I feel like. That makes sense. <laughs> so, Maybe by the time I retire, I'll end up back in Colorado. Yeah, there you go. Now, I know you, you speak French. Did you learn it uh, um, while you were overseas there, or was that no, beforehand? Before, so I went to a, a high school and middle school where foreign language education was a big part of the okay. curriculum. And so I studied German and French. And my family also hosted German exchange students. A great way to learn the language. And so yeah, I started, absolutely. but I, I loved French, the language, yeah. a little more. Yeah. <laughs> so I, um, I went to France for a year, and I had taken several years of French before that. So, okay. But I lived with a family who didn't speak English, and so it was total immersion. Every, sure. every conversation, everything was in French, so kind of a sink or swim type thing. Wow. <laughs> how, how would you, you describe do. that experience to someone if they were maybe on the fence about studying abroad? Well, I would say get off the fence because it, it's, I mean, it was a life-changing experience for me for the better. I mean, without a doubt, it was one of the most important years of my life. Just, um, you know, I, I had a, a wonderful upbringing, but it, just to go to another country and experience their culture and mm -hmm. different ways of viewing the world and, and, um, not just politics, but everyday life and what, what you eat and how families interact. It's mm -hmm. just, you know, invaluable to see that. I would imagine. Yeah, yeah definitely. I took French in high school. I, I know it like 10 words. <laughs> yeah, <you wouldn't laughs> That's be a all lot, I remember. A lot of people who took French in high school can remember maybe 10 words. <laughs> yeah. Je m'appelle Alex. There you go. Good know. job. <laughs> uh, so how did you wind up at CSC? You, you kind of alluded to it. You know, you had, uh, you, you started your undergraduate work at the University of Missouri uh, and then down at Florida State, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And, and then was this the first job out, out of graduate school, out of, out yeah. of earning your doctorate? Well, I wasn't even 100% done. So I was ABD and I started, which means all but dissertation. So I had done all my coursework for my doctorate and I started applying for jobs and I wasn't really getting any, any hits. The academic market is pretty tough, as we all know, of course. Sure. And um, I had given myself a deadline. And if I didn't receive any callbacks, for lack of a better word, from any of the places I applied to. By that date, I was just going to stay in Tallahassee and be a freelancer and finish writing my treatise. But literally on the very last day, I got a call from Shadron State College <laughs> for the accompanist position. Right. And um, so I, and that was in July, if I remember right. And we, they flew me up here. I interviewed for the position. And then like two weeks later, I moved here. 
So great people are interviewed in July because that's when I interviewed too. <laughs> oh, so yeah. there we go. There we go. So that's been it was ten years ago, wasn't it? Just yeah. Um, that's twenty twelve. Uh, fall of twenty twelve was when I was here. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we've got. Honest. Yeah, I think we got our CSC live ten years coming up, and I know that's it seems right. like yeah, yeah. You, you've always been here. Uh, whenever we've done music coverage. Well, I was here for one year, and then I was a, right. a visiting professor down in Texas, yeah. and then I came back here. So, what was your dissertation on? <laughs> My dissertation was on um, uh, basically practice techniques uh, as applied to a movement of a suite by Johann Sebastian Bach using kind of upper level theoretical approaches. So, so <laughs> I, I'm a, it is a doctoral subject. Sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah. I, I, so I, I'm just I'm just guessing it was both written and then did you also yeah. have to play as well? Right, right. So in in a lot of music doctorates, the dissertation is divided between performances and written work. And it depends on where you go. There are all kinds of different kind of combinations. But in my case, I my dissertation was two solo recitals, a chamber music recital, a lecture recital, and then a treatise, and mine, something like 80 pages of writing. Wow. Yeah. And real quickly, can you tell me the difference between a solo recital and a chamber? Yeah. Solo is just me. Or just, uh, you know, the one pianist. And then chamber music is when I am playing, but then there are also other musicians or singers. So violinists, cellists, clarinetists, whatever. whatever. Okay. So a group ensemble music. Great. Yeah. There we Good go. to know. <laughs> All right, Brooks. Um, what do we got here? We've got... Okay, this question is essentially, what is, what is your history in music? Did you always know that you wanted to work in this field and perform in this field? I don't think so. I was, I was a, a kid who was interested in everything. I mean, I, went, I had a time when I was interested in cars passionately and um, aquariums, and for a while I wanted to be a zookeeper, and of course I wanted to be a pilot and then a baseball player. This is a good balance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And then um, I, I knew I had some musical skill, but I never really pursued it much. But then I had a cousin who played the piano and I would try to figure out what she was playing. And so I would play by ear what she was, what she was playing. And I convinced my parents to rent a piano. And um, they were a little hesitant at first because I had had so many different interests that would, I would burn really intensely on this one topic and we'd, yeah. get, we'd get an aquarium and then I would be like four months later, <laughs> I forgot to Moving feed the fish on. again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, actually, I, I lasted a little longer with aquariums. But they were, you, you understand, they were hesitant to sure. inve- make that investment. So we rented a piano, and I stuck with it, and I advanced really quickly. And so it was pretty clear that I had that, um, you know, aptitude from a pretty young age. And I also played trumpet, and I played viola. Was there a moment well. that it clicked for you? I wouldn't say that. Okay. Not that I can remember. Okay. How old were you when you started playing then? When I started playing piano, I was 11 years old, which is actually kind of late mm-hmm. uh, in, if you're going to make a career out of it. But I had already, um, I knew how to read music. I had, I had played trumpet by that point, and I had been in our, um, our music ensembles in, in school. So Nice. But piano was starting at 11, yeah. Wow. Um, so what are maybe some of the more memorable places that you've played? Uh, and then also, what are some of the memorable pieces that you've played? Well, I've, I've been really fortunate. I've played in all kinds of interesting peak places, places that you would recognize. Like I, I've played in Carnegie Hall's Weill Recital Hall, which is a, a hall within Carnegie Hall in New York City twice. And I've played in at the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. And um, 
but I've also played in some less conventional places. For instance, I, I, I work for a summer music program in Italy, and I've played in churches and convents. Uh, we even gave a concert on the beach one year, so on the Adriatic coast, just out in the open with a, um, a quick stage that we made up. And, and Wow. It know. does sound like a, sounds like a good time. <laughs> I bet so, the backdrop was hideous. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, conventional, conventional theaters, you know, like and halls and uh, beautiful places with, you know, traditional concert venues, but also some more unusual places. Um, so what about like a, a keyboard that's spread out the length of the room like the movie Big? <laughs> have you ever played one of those? <laughs> no. I, uh, well, you know, not, except in a department store when they have them, you know, when they used to have those right. back. Well, that age, that that tells you how old we are. Yeah, that, yeah, we just dated ourselves. Yeah, we dated ourselves. Yeah. I, would, I, I, I have no musical skill, but I always would feel like uh, if you go to like a hotel lobby and the piano's open and if I had any it. semblance of skill, I would try just sit something. down and put a cup up and try to get some tips. But have you ever done anything like that? I've never put a cup up for tips, but I have definitely played in, in hotel room nice. lobbies and ballrooms. Yeah, Good, I'm glad. <laughs> Uh, any memorable pieces then? Yeah, what stands out in oh, your career? Oh, let's see. Well, um, yeah, there, there are several. I, I played a piece in 2000 at the Millennial Concert, I think was the title of the concert at the University of Missouri. And I played a piece by a composer named George Crum, who just passed away recently, actually. And it was uh, a modern piece, and, and the music, the notation was very unconventional. But in the middle of this piece, I had to yell um, very loudly. That's part of the music is, is yelling. And huh. so I had to, it was uh, from his um, microcosmos suite and it was the movement called Toro, which is based on the Zodiac, so Taurus. And I had to yell, Toro, Toro, Toro. <laughs> <laughs> I like In a it. hall with, with several thousand people, that was actually a, a big performance. Um, yeah. One of the largest groups of people I've ever played for in a live setting. So, so was that amplified or did you have to get no, the top no, of your lungs? No, no, it was not amplified. It was, it was just there me yelling. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> might need to find a clip of that. Maybe yeah. Something's oh, I, on. I don't know. That probably doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> Dang it. So that's a, that's a memorable piece. Yeah. Okay. It really stands out. And do you do any of your own music writing? I do a little bit. Not, not much and certainly not seriously. I don't sell anything. But I, for instance, I have a niece and I've written some music for her, kind of children's music just for fun. But I don't do any. I'm not a major composer. And that's not really a passion of mine. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I know that... I know you're a very busy person. Um, I was speaking to uh, your dean, Dr. Jim Margitz, uh, maybe a couple weeks ago, and he he said that uh, you're taking classes to finish a second master's degree, which, I mean, congratulations to you. You're you're teaching a a full load. You're on several committees. You also work with students as an advisor. You appeared in a commercial that Daniel and I helped organize in the fall, so thank you. Um, (laughs) Haven't seen it yet. Oh, it's coming. It's coming, yeah, (laughs) it's coming. Uh, but, But how do you find the time? Well, you know, some things get a little bit easier as you get older, believe it or not. You know, I feel like I have a much better understanding of how much time it's going to take me to do something and I can plan accordingly. And I also am one of those people who makes a lot of lists <laughs> and I check things off and, you know, I'm pretty detailed in my note taking. And so I I just have developed my own strategies for making sure I can fit things in. And also I have learned over time that sometimes I just have to say no. Like, um, you, I can't do everything that I would like to do. You, there's just yeah. not enough time and, or mental bandwidth for all of that. So 
that's uh, I think I have have developed more of that skill of finding that balance. What can I actually handle in the amount of time? And I've gotten faster at some things, you know, mm -hmm. like learning music. I feel like I've I become so much more efficient at than when I was, you know, 20 years old or so. I really like your answer that that as you've as you've aged, you've kind of figured things out a little bit more organization wise, mm -hmm. and you understand the amount of time that things will take. I, I I haven't heard it put exactly that that way, but that's one of the perks of getting old. Yeah, right. You just have more experience, and you've done something similar in mm -hmm. the past, and you remember how long that took you, or how you really needed more time <laughs> yeah. for whatever that yeah. was, and, and so you're going to do better this time. <laughs> That's definitely true. Yeah, because it is. It is. It's so easy, you know, especially when you're when we're younger. Yeah, we'll say yes to everything yeah. and then find out the hard way mm -hmm. uh, yeah. just exactly what that entails. Right. <laughs> yep. And sometimes that's a really negative experience, but, you know, we learn through those kinds of experiences, yeah. of course. Yeah, we do. Uh, so, Brooks, um, in preparing for this, I, I know you told Alex that you wanted to talk about the many meanings <laughs> of music, and I'm kind of curious uh, to hear about this myself. So, yeah, what, what are the many meanings of music? That's a big question, which <laughs> would probably be its own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. No, but uh, really what I was – I teach a, an FYI class called Music and the Mind, and one of the things that I try to get students to appreciate is music has many meanings. We kind of – have this idea of, of music being the stuff that we listen to, the stuff that we enjoy. But music is so vast. And of course, humans have been making music for thousands of years. And, um, you know, music can have highly personal meanings, of course, but also it can be ritualistic and it could be religious. It can be um, to help you calm down after a long day. It can get you pumped up for a, an event of some kind. Um, but also it can, it can be a way for us to express those emotions that we really struggle to put into words. And the really great composers of the past, yeah. that's one of the reasons why they have stayed in the repertoire for so long, because they have found ways to translate sound into these, these emotions that we find so difficult to express with words. And yeah. so we we have these, this music that we like. You know, you have a, your favorite music, whatever it is, which I'm sure is uh, pop from the year 2000 or so. No, I go older than I'm that. Just I, 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit of an eccentric on that. Okay, one. but yeah, I, we like we all have classic our own. rock, uh, pop music, um, rock music, electronic dance music, whatever it is, and we kind of uh, categorize what we like into something pretty narrow. But um, there is such a a richness of musical experience out there that I wish people would be more tolerant of in a way, right? Because um, there are so many other ways to use sound to be expressive and to help us with our daily lives and our extended lives as well. So that's where I'm going. That's what I was thinking about when the many meanings of music. I just oh, think yeah. uh, we sh this is actually a quote from a fr former professor of mine. He, he would say, uh, don't measure all music with the same yardstick, right? So you have the music you like, and then if you hear something that you don't like, you dismiss it really quickly. But maybe the point of that music is to not entertain you, for instance. It might have a totally different goal. Yeah. And uh, I just w wish that we would um, accept that and pursue that line more often. Oh, yeah, it's a good thought. thought. Yeah. Yeah, very nice. I've always kind of looked at music uh, as markers of my life. Uh -huh. um, yeah, I do through, too. Like kind of yeah. through the, the nostalgic lens, you know, like sure. a, 
when you were <clears throat> when you were talking, I, I I can firmly remember listening to a, a CD that again dating myself, but uh, by this band named Less Than Jake, mm-hmm. uh, driving to school, <laughs> and I can remember going on J Street in McCook, Nebraska. So it's really interesting how you can just trans transport yourself back Absolutely. to those memories. Well, and uh, how old were you? Oh, that? probably sixteen or seventeen. Yeah. yeah. So for most people, the, the musical, emotional connections that they make in their teenage and early 20 years, those are the strongest uh, connections that we have to, to music. So many important things are going on in your life. You're, you might be falling in love. You're leaving your family you're, you know, for college or, or a job or something like that. So these really important steps in our development as humans also take place when we're absorbing um, the music that we will will treat as our favorite music probably for the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, if uh, music is used to treat people with dementia, and one of the best ways to uh, kind of bring them back, <laughs> at least temporarily, is music therapy. And the music that is used is often the music from that person's teenage years because those, uh, those neural connections in the brain are still there even after all that time. Wow, that's really interesting. So... Yeah. You know, and not that you're going to get dementia, Alex. Yeah, hopefully you know, not. Ooh. Just in case, we'll, we'll but keep. But the music keep that we use to so treat you will be will be less than Jake. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, we want to make sure we play the right stuff for you. <laughs> yeah, right. So write that down. Please play less than Jake. When okay, I'm in, good, good. You know, yeah, but I'm in the retirement home. It's something I, I feel like I should uh, I should do some reading on. You know, the idea that uh, scent is such a powerful uh, memory trigger for yeah. us. But mm-hmm. you know, I start thinking of how powerful the, those sound experiences yeah, can be too. Yeah. Right. If you if you were to hear a song from that album right now, you would be transported right back to your car. Oh yeah. Driving down the road when you were sixteen years old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Strong feelings. But sense That's sense good. as well. Sense are, are highly marked yeah. Um, memories. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool stuff. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about you um, as a as a foreign exchange student in France. You spent mm-hmm. a year there, and then you also just cavalierly mentioned, oh, "I played on the coast of the Amalfi <laughs> Coast or, or wherever it was in Italy." But um, so clearly, you've traveled abroad a little yeah. bit. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, I grew up. You know, my family we would travel around in the United States, and we'd go to national parks and just various places. And I had family in Washington State and Maryland, so you know, we were moving around. Um, to travel since I was as long as I can remember. But I also really developed um, a strong desire to just see more of the world when I was a teenager. And we had, like I said, we had German exchange students. And um, so I went to Germany, visited them, and it was a year in France. And then I've also uh, worked in Italy for several summers. And I mean, I I'm, in a way, I'm kind of addicted. I think people who, who like to travel, it, it is a form of an addiction. Like you, mm-hmm. you need it. <laughs> you need to get out of your little bubble where you live every once in a while. I mean, the bubble is still lovely. It's your home. Yeah. But to go experience something else and see just something different and a different climate or different sites, different architecture, yeah. different music, different people. I mean, I find that incredibly enriching uh, for my own life and... Yeah, I don't know that I've ever spoken with anyone who's like, ah, I just got back from a month in in the French Riviera and (laughs) I hate life right now. So are there any uh, bucket list spots for you right now? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I would like to go, I'd like to see Antarctica, which is, uh, I haven't seen any of South America, so I've never been to 
Brazil or Ecuador or mm-hmm. Argentina or anywhere down there. I've been to Mexico, but that's as far south as I've been. And I've never been to um, uh, Australia, New Zealand. And so those are also on my bucket list. Okay, good I, spots. I think it would be neat to go to um, Papua New Guinea or someplace really off the beaten path yeah. and just kind of experience life in a totally different setting mm-hmm. with far fewer amenities and, you know, but that, I think that could be really fun. Oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely worth taking advantage it's of. It's very far away, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, it sounds like it's be worthwhile, though. I think so, yeah. yeah. Oh, let's see, where are we at here? Um, how important is it to advocate for the arts? Now, I'm com- definitely coming at this. Uh, we've just had meetings about uh, enhancing our community arts, whether it's visual, performing, music. But how important is that kind of thing? Well, I am in, in the music program, so I'm biased here. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> but I think it's incredibly important. I think um, the arts enrich our lives in, in many different ways, uh, intellectually, spiritually, um, emotionally, um, all for the better. And there has been a strong push, and with reason, to emphasize certain fields, science, engineering, math, and such. But I, in my opinion, of course, this is my opinion, that pendulum has swung a little bit too far away from the arts and the humanities. And yeah. I think that we should move it back a little bit and, and, and put more emphasis on the arts in early education, in particular music in elementary school and middle school. Um, but not just music, all the art, yeah, visual arts, sure. and, and dramatic arts, and, and, the, and the humanities as well. Um, it's, I mean, how many studies do we need at this point that tells us that a, a more thorough knowledge of the arts or experience playing an instrument is something that makes people happier and also helps to prepare them uh, to be flexible in their lives, right? So uh, if you move from one field to another, having a background in the arts and the humanities actually makes those transitions easier. But if you are, have always been in this one line of thinking, of approaching the world, it can be very difficult to move to a different field. Yeah. So I, I think um, I would advocate for the arts as, as a means of um, enriching ourselves and our communities, but also as a way to develop more flexibility when we are adults. And I think it's important um, to develop that skill to uh, be a critical thinker, but also be able to see things from other perspectives which I think the arts and the humanities really helps us. Oh, yeah, they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, well said. Yeah, yeah, that's a good answer to that. Um, Brooks, what are some things you enjoy doing outside of work? I know I've seen you hitting the trails running a few times. <laughs> right, so I'm a, I'm a runner, but very much an amateur. I'm not competitive at all. I just do it to stay in shape, and I really just enjoy it. It's, it's something that I find pleasurable. And so I, I've, I've run many half marathons and I've run two full marathons at this point and I don't know if I'll do another one or not. <laughs> <laughs> they were painful. Yeah. But, well, <laughs> two is probably two is two more than I did. I did, I, I, did I, you know, I do want to get a better time, but it's not like the, my primary goal or anything. So I like to run. I'm also, um, I'm a pianist of course, but, uh, my dad is a builder and I grew up helping him, especially in the summers. I would, I would work for my dad. And so I learned to, uh, I learned woodworking and, and building skills, and so I'm a 
amateur woodworker as well, and I, I just build random things. All right. Yeah. What's any current projects on that? Well, now you say that, no, but I don't have anything right <laughs> right now. I have a table that yeah. has long been unfinished. <laughs> it's that finishing that, step's always the hard part. That stares at me in the garage and says, please finish me, but I just haven't found the time to finish it yet. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. That's good stuff. Uh, so, Brooks, we've reached the uh, point in our podcast. We have some quick-hitting questions okay. for you. So first right. thing that comes to your mind, uh, one of your favorite movies. Hmm, my favorite movies. Uh, let's see. Um, I like historical dramas. I'm one of those people. Nothing wrong with those. <laughs> Nothing wrong with those. There's no, some I, great I ones like out the, there. Um, I, I tend to like the more dramatic movies. Um one movie that I that just popped into my head the moment you said that was the movie Elizabeth okay. with Kate Blanchett. I think it was from the late nineties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I always thought that was a really great movie. I, I do like to watch movies, but um I can't handle gore very well, so I'm pretty shy away from those that genre. Although I do like um psychological horror movies. Oh yeah, that's good stuff. But not the ones where people get chopped up. No, no. <laughs> no I, I should really probably add that uh, Elizabeth to my list because I remember um, I remember seeing that one or seeing like the posters when it came out. And I thought, uh-huh. oh, this could be good. So, but yeah. so it's worth. Seeing. I really enjoyed okay. it. Okay, yeah, yeah, good. What about uh, what's a hidden talent of yours, Brooks? Well, I I would probably just say woodworking. I mean, people don't assume that I can. I that somebody in my position. I mean, I'm a professor of piano. You know that I would necessarily be using. Power tool. tool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, do you ever? Do you, this is how you make your living yeah. with your hands. Do you ever worry that I'm a saw blade? I mean, like, I better maybe, knock on wood. Maybe a little bit in the back of my mind, but you know, I've I've been using them for a long time. Sure. And so there's, I've just developed. You know, I, I know how to use them, mm-hmm. and I or the ones that I am willing to use. Like I don't, I don't have a bandsaw, for instance. That's one I don't really want to use. Yeah, I don't blame you there. <laughs> the uh, the lathe always scares me. I've never I used don't have a one, lathe, and yeah. I just you know see videos of them in use. And I go, that's a lot of energy, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, potentially dangerous. But you, know, you can see some fantastic stuff. They're done cool. Yeah. yeah, they're definitely cool. Okay, what's the best advice you received as a college student? Well, I think the best advice I received was probably. Not from a college professor. Well, actually, he is a professor. So you've heard of Noam Chomsky, who teaches, I think he still teaches at Harvard. But he wrote a book. And in the book, one of the things that he said that his um, mentors would ask him is, what can you do? And so I, I found that question really motivating. Like, what am I, Brooks Hafey, and my body and my brain, what is it capable of? I mean... If I push myself, how far can I get? You know what? Yeah. What is my what is my capacity? And I found that really um, a motivating thought. You know that let's figure out. Let me figure out what what am I capable of? Yeah. Brooks, who's a uh, favorite? What's a favorite book, or who is a favorite author of yours? Hmm. Well, uh, the first book that popped into my, to my mind is The Magus by John Fowles. Okay. Have you heard of that I book? Have, I haven't. So this was a, it's a pretty thick book, um, but it's, it's actually kind of a psychological thriller, but written uh, 50, 60 years ago at this point. Um, and that's always been one of my favorites. I really love the language and the, the characters and the, the what the heck is going on mm-hmm. on like every page. So that's, and nice. it's a, it's a classic uh, so I highly recommend it to you both. Okay. <laughs> the Magus. 
Let me see that pen. The Magus. I, uh, that I liked the book so much that I even named one of my dogs Magus. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brooks, last question for sure. you. What uh, word comes to your head when you think of Shadron State College? Mm, that's a good question. But I, the first thing that actually came to mind was, was welcoming because I feel that, that Shadron State College in particular is a great destination um, for many different types of students. And whoever you are, whatever your achievements are, you know, this is a welcoming place for you. And so, um, you know, we are an open enrollment institution as well. And how can you be more welcoming than that in oh, yeah. higher education? Like, mm -hmm. you want to come to college? Well, come, come here. So, yeah. All right. Certainly good. agree. And we'll see all of you here on the next <laughs> podcast. <laughs> well, thanks again, Brooks, for coming in and uh, sitting down with us for a few minutes. Thank you. Really yeah, appreciate my it. My pleasure. Thanks, Brooks. Yeah.